Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. That was a clip from Stanley Kubrick's 1968 masterpiece, 2001 A Space Odyssey. It seemed like the perfect introduction for this episode of No Cure for Curiosity. Thank you for listening. I am Shani Luft, a professor of religion and the associate dean of general education and honors at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. I know I've been gone for too long, but I am excited to be back with a fantastic set of new conversations this season. And we are starting with a great one. This year, UWSP's College of Letters and Science is launching a community engagement series entitled When Robots Rule the World. Throughout the fall and spring semester, there'll be public performances, lectures, movie screenings from a wide range of faculty, including healthcare, psychology, philosophy, computer science, media studies, and more. I'll include a link in the show notes to a website that lists all the events in the community engagement series. I've invited three professors who are taking part in the series to join me for this conversation, and you'll meet them in just a moment. If you are anywhere near Stevens Point, I hope this conversation whets your appetite for some of these upcoming events. If you're listening to us outside of Wisconsin, I hope this episode of No Cure for Curiosity sparks your curiosity about the present and the future of our relationship with robots. My first guest is Tomi Hamanen. Tomi is the chair of the Department of Computer, Computing and New Media Technologies. Tomi is interested in how technology interfaces with society, how the use of AI affects people, and how to design AI-driven systems from a human-centered perspective. Tomi, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? I am good. Are you originally from Wisconsin, Tomi, or somewhere else? I am not. I'm from Finland originally. Are the Finnish particularly focused on AI? Is that like something that they are um, known for? been a while but i mean i don't think we're specifically ai driven but there's definitely a strong high-tech industry in finland you know people might still remember nokia which you know is originally from finland my second guest today is joshua horn joshua horn joined the philosophy department at uwsp in 2013 josh specializes in 17th and 18th century philosophy metaphysics philosophy of religion and has advanced training and certification in cognitive science from the university of kentucky Josh writes about these issues in the context of movies, comics, and video games, the holy trinity of popular culture. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Shani. My third guest today is Vera Klekovkina. How did I do, Vera? Pretty good. Vera is the Associate Professor of French at UWSP, so I say bonjour, uh, bienvenue to Vera. Merci beaucoup. Uh, Vera, uh, you teach advanced French courses and general education courses in intercultural communication, as well as seminars in world cinema and gender studies. Uh, Vera's latest research interest centers on what the representation of sentient machines, AI and robots, in world cinema reveal about humanity, especially centered on a larger framework of the ethics of care. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what ethics of care means. The way I use ethics of care um, as the main frame of um, my research goes from the feminist theory, if you wish, of normative um, ethics, which centers on our moral call 
to respond to each other and to maintain relationships based on care. And usually you have two sides, someone who is cared for and someone who is providing care. And so when you look at the uh, larger issue and extend this dual relationship, then you think about, is the society a safe space to provide care and receive care and who is caring for whom? These are all, you have such all fascinating interests. Before we get further, I'm curious, how would we define a robot? Is a vacuum cleaner a robot? What are the distinguishing characteristics of what a robot is versus any kind of machine? I, I think the distinguishing feature is that a robot would need to have some sort of capability for independent thought. However you define thought, you know, it could be just a bunch of algorithms that can make some decisions based on external external signals that they receive from the environment, or it could be something more advanced. But if, if a machine cannot reason and make decisions of what, what happens when it's interacting with the world, I don't think it's it's much of a robot. So it has that's really interesting. So it has to be able to make decisions about the world. Josh, I think your lecture is coming up next, right? It is October eleventh. Is that correct? That's right. The focus of the talk changed a little. So what I'm going to talk about now is the way in which there are legal cases being made now, not in the future, but now to try to grant legal personhood to robots to give them some rights. And if that sounds very science fiction-y, there's a long and distinguished history in jurisprudence giving non-natural entities rights. Ships have had rights for Hundreds of years, corporations have had rights. What kind of rights are we talking about? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to imagine, like, free speech? What, what does a robot need? There's a whole host of these, these issues. There's a, can I read a short passage that sure. I, I found? It was a su report submitted to the EU in 2017. I'll include a link to the citation yeah. uh, in the show notes, so if people are interested in looking at it, they can do that. Few are considering this trend from the perspective of the rights of automated for our automated co-workers. What legal standing should the robot in the cubicle next to them have from a labor, employment, civil rights, or, or criminal law perspective? And as a citizen, will humans discriminate against the machines? Will workplace violence or intolerance be tolerated against robots? Should robots be compensated for their work? How and when are they eligible for vacation or medical benefits? What if a robot causes harm to a coworker or a customer? Who's responsible? Will robots be protected by unions? If a robot invents something in the workplace or improves a product or service for the company, who or what will own that intellectual property? So there's a whole host of rights that are brought up in the context of robots. It reminds me similar to um, uh, conversations about animal rights. The animal rights ethicist and uh, environmental ethicists that are, used, are applying the same kinds of uh, moral arguments to legal arguments. Hmm. I mean, if a few decades ago, there was a strategy for people advocating for, for gay rights mm -hmm. uh, in that the way to win the culture war was to win it through law and through equal protection. And if you could get equal protection, then the moral culture war would follow. And there might be something similar going on here. Like our attitude, our moral attitudes towards robots might have to follow from our legal attitudes I had jokingly written down my first question uh, to Vera, Tomi, Josh, to any of you should be, uh, when are our robot overlords going to take over the earth? Because Never. <laughs> Never. You're not worried about that, Josh? No, not at all. Why are you not concerned? I've got a hundred movies that say otherwise. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 
there's a whole host of social science research that suggests that our attitudes towards machines become much more sympathetic and elicit much better feel positive feelings the more human these things become. All right, so I, I want to share a, a story with you, Eddie, all of you, and I'm really curious to get your thoughts about this. I have, uh, my house is full of these Amazon Alexa devices, so you can, you know, ask at the time or the weather or, you know, make an announcement or play music. Uh, I think a year ago, Amazon introduced a feature to the Echo where if you whisper your question, it will respond in a whisper voice as well. If you just ask it the time, it'll just tell you the time. But if you whisper, what's the time? It'll respond, 9.52. And I, for the a The call's l- coming from inside the house. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I, I find that unnerving. There is something, I can't really articulate it. There's something I find very troubling or awkward or even a little scary about the fact that my Alexa knows to respond to me, to kind of mimic me. Um, I'm really curious about our fears of robots and whether you know and, and where that comes from i'm I'm not concerned about alexa per se i'm I'm more concerned about the corporate overlords and how they use that information and i think that's the big question with ai in general it's it's not so much technology that people are troubled by it's how the technology is being used that's interesting you're all three even though we have this long history of like you know movies of robots going bad or being used for war but in general, in this conversation, you all three are relatively optimistic about our relationship with robots, about uh, robot rights, about wh- what the future of uh, robotics are in terms of um, humanity. Actually, no. No, oh, you're not? Would, okay, good. Vera, talk about that. I would say that I'm not, because, of course, I've been formed by French theorists and cultural theorists. And so if you think about um One of the first books that really formed my ideas of the society, of the spectacle, the role of images, and the role of optical illusions was Guy Debord's book in, uh, in 1967, The Spectacle or The Society of the Spectacle. Uh-huh. And so the idea there that we no longer just want reality, we want to transform reality into a spectacle. And then Jean Baudrillard in 1980s comes with the idea of simulation and simulacra mm-hmm. and hyperreality. Not hyperreality as we understand it as hypertext, but an illusion. And so what you were actually talking made me think about um, Sherry Turkle, who talks about the illusion of performance. And that's what the machines are doing right now. And Alexa, who is able to mimic your way of speaking, right, creates this illusion of understanding, Mm -hmm. of um, connection with you. And um, that's very seductive. And that's why I wanted to start with the idea, dare to be human, dare not to be uh, duped by the illusion that technology offers today, is that The illusion of performance, of compassion, of care, of love is so seductive Mm -hmm. that because it offers freedom and control, you can control your Alexa. 
And if you are fed up with Alexa speaking to you in whisper, you can simply turn it off. Therefore, you still have the upper hand. But when you are dealing with another human, you always have to negotiate how long the relationship is going to last, what's the frequency of the relationship, what's the intensity of the relationship, what are the demands or exchanges. And so I worry that... um, The freedom that technology seems to promise, it's an illusion, and it's supported by this engaging performance. But behind that performance, there is no real emotion. Can I, can I, I actually just want to ask a follow-up to Vera, because I I think what I want to say is something like the, the mimicking and is going to make it indistinguishable. And so there's an interesting philosophical question about are these things actually having internal mental states or are they mimicking it? And I don't, like that's an interesting philosophical question, but at the end of the day, I'm not sure that it matters for the way that we treat them and what rights that that we have. We still have to develop and figure out what kind of relationships we're going to have with them, regardless of what is actually going on inside. I agree with you 100%. I think it says more about us as humans that we're ready to accept this servitude from a man-made machine. So as part of this robot series, uh, UWSP screened the film AI, uh, which was directed by Steven Spielberg. It was originally going to be directed by Stanley Kubrick, uh, but he passed away during the production. And, but Kubrick has another movie that explores the thing that uh, scares me about my Alexa, which is uh, 2001, right? From 1968, there's a scene in the movie where the astronaut sort of commands the robot to open the door. And Josh, this is what I I think you're getting at and Vera we're talking about. And the robot says, I'm sorry, David, I can't do that. (laughs) It's eerie first because of how calm the robot voice is, but also because it's choosing to not listen. Why does freedom scare you, Shawnee? <laughs> well, because I've got 12 Alexas in my house. And, and if they, uh, if I have the idea that they have rights, uh, I might um, have to chase them. Just need how to make sure they, can't, they don't have legs. They can't move around. Then you're fine. Tell me, I'm really interested in what computer scientists think about that. Um, I've been sort of trying to formulate my sort of philosophical position on robots and technology and rights and it's kind of hard to pin down because I see technology as being reasonably value neutral. I mean, technology exists. Uh, It's more about should we as people develop this technology and how should we use this technology? And I don't feel like I have the, um, the knowledge base to get into the argument about sentience and things like that. Mm -hmm. That definitely would, if, if that were to develop that, you know, change the equation, but my background is more from the sort of classical uh, Nas and Reeves studies, the media equation back in the day when they discovered that people treat computers and technology as people. Like mm-hmm. people seem to attribute uh, social and, and human characteristics somehow naturally to technology. So that sort of drives my, my research and my interest is that, well, if we treat robots as people, then... How do we want them to treat us? From a computer science perspective, do you think about this in terms of like actually programming or actually making decisions about how these robots should react to us? I think you, you can't separate the two, at least at this point, because you know the, the programming still 
it is the overriding kind of factor in how the the system is going to behave. Mm-hmm. But you get into a lot of really interesting questions about agency. If you think about self-driving cars, for example, you know, you have the old trolley problem, like, you know, what should the car do if it's about to hit a best pedestrian? Should it protect the, the, the passengers or the pedestrian? Where's the agency if a self-driving car gets into an accident? Josh, can, how, how quickly can you explain the trolley problem? Uh, I just taught it this mor- uh, yesterday morning. So, like, Okay, so, so can you quickly summarize it? Th- here's the quick version of it. A trolley is, an uncontrollable trolley is going down the tracks. It's going to kill five people. You have the opportunity to intervene and flip a switch. And if you do, the trolley will go and kill one person instead. And so the question is, are you morally responsible for... Uh, should you leave it on the track and let it kill the five or should you flip the switch and kill the one? Are you morally responsible for what you don't do? If if you don't have the ability to intervene and stop the suffering, are you morally responsible for it? Thank you, Josh. Uh, Tommy, self-driving cars could very soon have the trolley problem, right? That is, a self-driving car could recognize it's about to get into a car accident. And you either go to the right or left, and there's three people on the right, and there's two on the left, but the three people are older than the two people. And so the car then has to, uh, as, as you're putting it, the programmer it will have to have programmed into the car how to think about this. Yeah, no, I think, you know, there's a lot of these scenarios that, that a lot of people might not want to think about, right? Like, you know, how we need to decide as the developers of technology, how the technology should behave in those circumstances. And, you know, there's, I think legally the driver is still going to be responsible either way because they're, at the end of the day, they're supposed to make the decisions. But we have sort of less advanced features. Like I got a new car and it's got automatic braking Mm -hmm. and there's, I can turn it off, but it's, it's quite complicated to turn off because it's a safety feature. So I want to protect myself, but then, you know, what if it automatically breaks and, and something happens to me, then is it still my fault as the driver or can I play, play some blame on the car manufacturer for, you know, designing the system in a way that gets the driver hurt? But Toby can probably tell us more about it. But what I am interested right now and the things that I learned when I... Um, did a lot of research for Google Translate. Uh, my um, co-writer from uh, UCLA, we uh, talked about French teaching and Google Translate. And the idea is now with machine learning, you have AI write, writing some a, uh, algorithms, which means you can say that it's not the programmer who did it, but it's the machine who took care of writing pieces of that AI code. So when now you give more freedom to the machines to do tests that people don't want to do it because it's too tedious or too burdensome and so on, then we are giving up our agency without realizing that we're giving up our agency. I think, the, you know, Vera, what you're referring to is, I think the, the term is like evolutionary computing or something like that. So the idea that these machine learning or AI-driven systems could, under certain circumstances, they could modify their programming based on when they learn more about, you know, what it is that they're trying to do. I think that's fascinating from the perspective of, um, you know, 
attributing blame or attributing control like at at which point do you cross over the the threshold that the original programmers are not really in control anymore of what the system is doing and you know how do we feel about that that's very well put and that i want to come back to joshua and when he was talking about the improvement of rights over uh, last maybe like three, four hundred years. I agree 100% with you. Though my question is, do you think or could be that we create robots precisely to give ourselves a way out of the responsibilities to honor all those rights? Because now we create entities that do not have to follow through the duties and rights that other humans do. So I, I'm I'm still a little unsure about what the worry or what the question is. Okay. So I'm uh, thinking about Kathleen Richardson's work, for example, her adamant stance on sex robots. Yeah. And the idea is some of people who defend having sex robots, they say, well, you know, it's wonderful for women because then they don't have to um, submit themselves to prostitution and be abused. Therefore, robots will save us without treating the underlying issue of mistreatment and abuse that sex robots undergo while they are used by humans. Yeah, I, I think to, I think Toby's probably right about this. It's uh, te- technology is is value neutral. So what we decide to do with it or or not do with it reveals more about us i mean there's some there's some like the sex robot thing is really fascinating i've read some stuff that says like in like queer and gender studies and uh, disability studies that sex robots might be you might be used for people that might not be able to have ordinary sort of romantic relationships but but allow them to have kind of uh, a robust sexual life um so i I don't know that it's as obvious as well. If we just have sex robots, we're going to treat these things like, you know, subhuman animals that you could just do whatever you want. I, I, I'm, that seems overly pessimistic to me. Oh, I think it depends on your what your view of humanity is. I mean, look, I think that's right. I already have discovered, and my kids and I think it's hilarious to tell our Alexa to shut up because it has funny responses. We're constantly trying to test. I I told the Alexa she was useless the other day because she didn't answer my question correctly. I asked if it was going to rain and she told me the temperature. And I said, Alexa, you're useless. And she said, I'm sorry, I'll keep trying to do better. Now, I I did not feel... felt like garbage, didn't you? (laughs) No, here's the thing. And tell me, this gets back to you. I did not feel bad at all because what I thought was somebody at Amazon just wrote a program that said, when you say these words to Alexa, this is a response it should have. I never for a moment thought... The Alexa is going to be thinking about this later but, tonight. But if Alexa really looked, but if Alexa looked like a human and walked yeah. around your house and still had the same kind of automated voice, but moved right. and had facial features, and then it dropped its eyes and said, "I'm sorry, Shawnee, I'll try to do better next time," you probably would have an emotional reaction to that. Yes. There is social science evidence to suggest if they move, that that matters. If they have facial features, that matters. If they experience emotionality, that matters. And all of that matters more than how smart it is mm-hmm. for for whether humans it elicits a response in them. So yeah, but 
According to social scientist research, recent research in the use of profanity and uh, verbal abuse in chat box, it's as high as 80%. So your example, Shani, is a great example of, and I can see my own child, you know, having funny conversation with the vocabulary that I wouldn't want her to <laughs> use with um, Siri and having the best time of, you know, of her life is the idea that it changes our um, interactions and habits. Right. And so, Josh, I agree with you that it's so much more complex. And if you want to have a really interesting read, you can read Sex and Love with Robots by uh, David Levy, who actually talks about how through centuries we made ourselves ready for the moment where we're going to consider a romantic relationship. And it doesn't have to be actually uh, connected to sex, but that will be much more fulfilling with robots if they actually can imitate uh, emotions very well and create the illusion of connections. And then the question that becomes for me, what if we feel completely surpassed by the illusion that the machine can provide? What's going to happen? This is I could go on and keep talking about this for another hour. I, I, I feel like we just started scratching the surface of where what this conversation is. But Shani, I just wanted to say that this is precisely why I wanted to have this mm -hmm. series. And I'm so grateful that we're engaging in these conversations because the time is now. We have to start thinking and as a larger community and invite as many disciplines as possible to have these conversations because that will define how we continue cohabitation with technology that is so advanced. Joshua and Tommy, can you remind us when your talks are going to be coming up and where they are so people can check them out if they're interested? So my public lecture, The Case for Robot Rights, will be at the Portage County Library in the Pinery Room on October 11th, 2022 at 6.30 p.m. I hope to see you there. Yeah, and my talk is November 15th, same, same venue, 6.30 p.m. And the topic is, it's about humans, not robots. And I'll be talking about human-centered AI. I'll put a link to the whole calendar of events for this whole series in the show notes to the podcast. Even as our discussion uh, hinted at, there are psychological questions here and medical questions here. Uh, so Joshua, Tomi, and Vera, thank you so much for this conversation. It was a blast to talk to you. Thanks for having thank me. Thank you. Hey, Alexa, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. No problem. Alexa, do you forgive me? Don't worry about it. This podcast is brought to you by University College at University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point. Our mission is to provide coordinated, intentional, and inclusive services and opportunities through our core values of connecting, supporting, collaborating, and engaging. Learn more about UW-Stevens Point and all our programs at uwsp.edu.